Father God, we bow before you. And we recognize you, that you are so overwhelmingly amazing. Beyond words, Lord, we are, whether we're bowing before you with our face in the ground or we're standing with our hands high and lifted up, that, God, we need you. We desperately need you, Lord. And, and I pray that that's the cry of everyone's heart in this room today the self-made men and the independent women and the, the teenagers who are just in and about themselves, that, Lord, all of that will be put on the altar today. And we will realize that you're the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the master of the universe, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega. And we bow our lives to you, Lord. You are our God. We don't want idols in front of us. Lord, we want to carry your name well into this world. And then, Lord, we want to pause. We want to create space in our lives that, Lord, we can hear from you and you be in this intimate relationship with us. But, Lord, this world doesn't doesn't afford that to us too often. So, Lord, we come and we thank you for this time. The few moments that they are, we thank you for them. Lord, speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. Well, I I, uh, think about um, this time of the year, and I think about uh, the New Year's resolutions, and I think about all the things that we want to do. And and I don't know about you, but uh, going back to school probably for some of our students is not one of those things. They're ready for their first snow day. Uh, But there's a word that if I say it, a student will probably have one idea in their mind versus maybe something that you and I might think. But if you hear the word margin, what do you think about? When you think about, do you hear, I think of an English comp professor uh, with a pencil maybe stuck right there in her ear, and uh, she's telling you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe even looking over her glasses, I don't know, uh, not stereotyping, but thinking about, you know, the white spaces on the edges of your paper, to make sure you don't, you know, you be within a certain framework that they can have the white spaces to spill all their red ink around. And that you're double spaced, creating margin between the lines so that, again, they can have room to interact with your papers. When I think about margin, that's the, the initial thought that comes to my mind. When I go beyond that, about four or five years ago, I was introduced to the word in a different form. Uh, by a, a Dr. Richard Swanson, who wrote a couple of books along the lines, even one of the n- names of the books is called Margin. And it was at a time in my life when I had very little white space, very little margin around the edges of my life. And I was really a, facing a, a time of overload and burnout. And I came across his book, Overcoming Overload, and that was the first introduction to the concept of margin. And then again, you go into his book, Margin, and it goes even further. The fact that life demands schedules, finances, if we don't have margin in our money, we don't have margin in our schedules, we don't have margin in our lives, then again, just imagine reading from side to side with no white space in there. It just doesn't go well. It doesn't read well. It's hard to, to see the breaks and the, and, and, and the interruptions along the way. Well, I want to say that God created in His perfect cosmos, in His perfect world, He created a buffer day. He created that one-seventh of our life would be set aside for a very intimate, special moment 
in relationship with Him, in relationship with our own existence. It's not about another vacation. It's not about just a day off. It's deeper than that. It's more than that. But it does involve stopping some of the stuff that we do in a regular routine that, that may be actually very good. But we need to back away, back off, build in that buffer day. And again, think about God in His perfect world. He built in even God Himself in seven days, creating, six days, excuse me, creating the world, stops on the seventh and He rests. If it's good enough for perfect God in a perfect world, how can imperfect man in an imperfect world do better than that? So I think we need to kind of understand, again, the sequence of these moves that are very strategic, I think, and sequential in how we live out our life. That first move that we talked about in it's that first commandment. Read it with me. I, I think it really needs very little explanation. I mean, it just says it quite clearly. Read it with me. You shall have no other gods before me. Now, I love it that Christ is so succinct here, or God is so succinct here, that he just brings it out to the point, no other God before me. That means I want to be, I want to be number one. If I'm not number one, I'm not going to be number two or three or four in your life. I'm going to be number one, and that's it. That is the first move, and each one of these builds on that one. The second commandment, read it with me. You shall not make for yourselves a carved image. As we'll read here in a moment, and as we talked about a few weeks back, really don't think of this as some kind of molten pot of melting, molting uh, gold in your garage that you're making in calves and in jewelry or whatever else. Think about it. Anything in time and space... Because he mentions everything in the heavens, nothing in the earth, or even in the depths of the ocean. Shall you make out to be a substitute, stand-in God, shadow God in my place. And then number three, the third commandment that we talked about last week. Read it with me. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. If you're going to call yourself a follower of God, then be a follower of God. But don't take his name, carry his name, claim his name but yet not live his name well. And that really calls for a lot of introspection. We kind of need to really turn the mirror on ourselves a little tighter and look a little longer and not just glance and go on and really say, am I carrying his name well? And then the fourth commandment that we'll, that we'll look at today, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Now, again, I believe every one of these builds on the other. And we have been talking about for the first four weeks, including this week, we've been talking about this vertical relationship with God. Now, next week, we're going to turn it to the horizontal. And we're going to spend the rest of our time dealing with how we relate with one another as God gives us these ten key moves. But before we blow past this and say, okay, Mike, I'm here, aren't I? I I passed the test. I'm observing the Sabbath because probably if you took the test that I encouraged you to take early on, you probably took the test and wrote out the commandments and you probably included the Sabbath. That's probably one of those that made the list for you, whether it was in the right order or not. But it is significant. It is important. It does fit. There is a sequence, a a, a reason that it is fourth and not third and not first. And it comes really down to how we are going to work in life, in the rhythms of life. This is what I kind of call a Sabbath. A Sabbath is creating space. 
creating space or margin in an over-demanded, excessively taxed life. For you and God to more intimately dwell together in worship and rest. Long phrase just to zero in on this. You creating space in your life, margin in your life, where you can enter into this intimate relationship with God. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but how many of y'all would label your relationship with God intimate? Don't answer that. But the reality is, is most don't see their relationship with God as an intimate relationship. They're still trying to figure out that whole relationship thing. But I think if maybe tied to that we struggle in this area of keeping space, making space known and, and set apart for Him, where He gets one-seventh of my life. And it, I, I figure if we can't give Him one-seventh of our life, then how in the world can we say that we're giving Him 100% of our life? If we can't get this, this one in, 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 in right order, it's like God's 24-hour cease and desist order. That you're just going to stop the gravy train for a little bit. You're going to stop the madness. You're going to stop the scheduling. You're going to stop life. You're going to stop the world from dictating to you. Because let me just wake you up, wake me up, wake us up to the reality that you will have to take a Sabbath. This world isn't going to give it to you. In fact, I'll tell you this. Everything in this world, the fast oblivion that we are moving through... Everything in this world tells you to multitask, tells you to do more, to cram in more, to reduce margin, don't create margin. Make sure that you get as much bang for the buck as you can. And so if, and so what happens then whenever we get in that situation, what is the first thing that comes out of our life? Anything spiritual. Most Christians, if you ask them, do you read the Bible? They'll tell you no. If you ask them another question, do you want to read the Bible? They will, most of them will say yes. If you ask them, the number one reason, number one and number two are right there close together. One is they don't even understand it. That makes sense to them. But I'm convinced it's really the number one reason is because they don't have time. And that's what they say. I don't have time. I think if we had time, made time, created margin in our life for that, then we would understand it. But we fast food, drive through lane God, and we give God about 10 minutes, if at that, to speak to us. And if He doesn't speak to us in a clear, audible way even, then we kind of move on and we kind of do our own thing. So now we come to these, these 10 moves. I want us to read them in order, and, and then I want to come back and talk about keeping the Sabbath and what that looks like. So, chapter 20, verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now, let's push pause again. I want you, the next time you take a Sabbath, maybe for the first time you take a Sabbath, I want you to take a piece of paper out. I want you to take it out. I want you to get alone. And I want you to start writing out some things. What has God, in, in all of His power and love and grace, has He delivered you from? Has He given you victory over? 
Just like the Egyptians were, were slaveholders to the Israelites, they were given freedom. I want you to take time for that. And just start writing out one, two, three, four, five, six. And I, may, I imagine if you give it enough time, you're going to come up with a, a solid sheet, maybe, maybe less than a sheet. I don't know how, how old you are. Uh, you may have two sheets, a ream of paper. I don't know. Uh, that you'll come up with that will just mark what God has done in your life. Because that will reinforce the first move. Number th- verse 3. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself carved image or a likeness in, uh, in, of anything that is in the heaven above or in the earth beneath or that is in the waters under the earth. That pretty much covers everything. All right? If you can make it, if it's in the water, if it's in the air, if it's in the sky, if it's in your brain, if it's in the laboratory, if whatever it is, your cell phone, whatever it is, then please don't put that in front of me. For I am the Lord your God and a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers and the children on their third and fourth generations to those who hate me, of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to the thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Love and commandments go hand in hand. That was the motivation for them coming to us. It should be the motivation for us living them. Verse 7. You should not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Now, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, or your male servant, or your female servant, your livestock, your sojourner within your gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea. That's a pretty good accomplishment in six days, if you don't say so. Um, and all that is in them. And he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath and, he, and made it holy. All right, God made this day holy. He set it apart. He gave it to you and and me. And we should embrace that. You know, out of all of the commandments, there is more real estate, more ink, more tablet given to the fourth commandment than to any of the other commandments. Read it. You can see that there's more content to this fourth commandment than any of the other commandments. Yet, this is the irony of it, yet it is the most objective of all the commandments. For example, for me to say, are there idols in my life? I can argue with Lori all day long about, no, there's no idols in my life, and she can point to idol after idol after idol. And so I can get into this debate with her whether or not I have idols in my life, whether or not I've committed adultery, whether or not... Uh, you know, I lusted after, I really didn't commit adultery, but the Bible says that if you even look at a woman and lust after her, then you commit adultery in your heart already. But I really didn't commit adultery. So, you know, you can debate all day long about whether or not you've done the other commandments. But listen, the most objective commandment is the, is the fourth commandment. It's a Sabbath day. It's the seventh day. Did you keep it holy? Did you set it apart? It's a 24-hour period. You can measure it down to the millisecond. You can measure it right down to the end. And yet it has so much content given to it. Why is that? Because I think we struggle in this area. I think we struggle immensely in this area. We don't see the value of this cosmic rhythm that God put in order. Now we understand it in some areas, rhythms. We understand the rhythm of eating. 
three, four, five, six times a day. We understand that whenever we need to eat and children and mothers and they're nursing their children, they understand rhythms of eating and you don't interrupt those rhythms. I've seen people at 5.30 or 6 at night or whenever they eat their dinner. Man, don't get in front of them because you're going to interrupt their rhythm and they're starving to death kind of feeling coming over them. So you understand rhythms of food. We understand rhythms of relationships. Sometimes when you're in a relationship, you need to speak. You need to vocalize. You need to be able to share your thoughts, your feelings. At other times, you need to be quiet and listen. Times in relationships, you need to be present. Times in relationships, you need to get out. You need to be alone. You need to separate and have margin there. We understand the rhythms of these things, but sometimes we've lost the rhythm of being in a relationship with God. We understand the rhythms of work. We work, we should work. The Bible affirms work. The Bible says if you don't work, you ought not eat. Is that clear? In fact, verse 9, he makes it clear. You should work six days. On the seventh day, you should rest. It's a rhythm. G. Campbell Morgan said it like this. A longtime pastor years ago in, uh, in England said it like this. He says, he who never works is, unfit, is unfitted for worship. He who never pauses to worship is rendered incapable of work. Now think about that for a moment. Incapable of work. I'm a better employee have, if I know that I'm not God and I know who God is and I'm walking in, in a full-on relationship with Him. This work-rest rhythm is a sacred rhythm that we need to honor and uphold. In fact, the, the Bible says it in Proverbs chapter 23. Uh, it, it says, Do not wear yourself out trying to get rich, but be wise and know when to quit. Well, I want you to read that out loud with me because I think some of us need to hear that. Hear our mouths say that, all right? Are you ready? One, two, and three. Do, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. Having that understanding and knowing when to quit is important. You think, well, well Mike, I can't quit. You've got to understand that there are people nipping at my heels that, that if I quit, if I rest, if I put aside something, then my boss will be upset because I didn't respond to his email or, 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 or I'll lose my competitive edge or, or, you know, what's the real benefit in resting? Uh, all that kind of stuff kind of plays, plays into our head. Let me bring out that there are two benefactors to the Sabbath. There are two benefactors. You are one of them. You observing the Sabbath, it is a benefit to you. It's a biblical thing to observe the Sabbath. It's an obedience thing. You've got to realize in the first century that the Pharisees that had taken the, the Sabbath and they had made it a whipping post. See, the Pharisees had determined how far you could walk in a day. They determined on the Sabbath you couldn't walk only so many paces and then you had to stop. Uh, and, and you couldn't you couldn't work your your animals. You couldn't you, you you couldn't carry things on the Sabbath. You couldn't even help a sick person on the Sabbath. So what had happened is the the Sabbath had got turned upside down and become a whipping post for Christians or for followers of Yahweh God to be beaten if you didn't do the Sabbath. And Jesus comes in, and I love it. He inserts himself, and he says, "By the way, I am God. I am the Lord of the Sabbath." So if we want to talk to somebody and really get a real perspective on what Sabbath looks like, let's listen to what Jesus said. And Jesus said in Mark, he said, listen, by the way, the Sabbath wasn't made for man. Man, uh, Excuse me, it was not made, uh, 
excuse me, let me let me read it out loud myself. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. All right, it's a gift from God. It was given to us by God. It was a rhythm that He put in place. Sabbath will sharpen your edge. That's that's my hypothesis. You will become better because you take a Sabbath. And again, it's more than a day off, but we'll get to that in the end as we go along here. But just kind of mark this verse down. Ecclesiastes 10.10. It says, Using a dull axe requires great strength. Makes sense? So, sharpen the axe. Sharpen the blade. It helps you succeed. You know what? You go through life, and we do a lot of chopping. We chop a lot of wood. We do a lot of things. We, we work. And man, when we get in that routine of where we work and we work and we work and we work two jobs and we work three jobs and we got our hobbies and we're constantly going and chasing after the kids and all their activities and we're constantly doing and what happens, we're just, we're just beating that axe. We're beating that axe. And man, we're seeing that we're not making much progress and we're getting tired. So what do we do? We beat harder. We beat harder. And what we need to do Stop. Stop. Take the axe, sharpen the blade, and go back to chopping again. That's a rhythm. That's a rhythm. We think if I beat harder and I beat longer and I keep, if I ever stop, then, then I'll lose out. That's not the case at all. In fact, you will become better. You will become sharper. You will be, you'll, you'll have a greater edge to you whenever. It's a biblical thing, but it's also a biological thing that, that, that we understand that the Sabbath is both absolutely for you. It is given to you by God. If you overtrain your body, you will literally get to the point where you're burning muscle instead of building muscle. So you've got to let your body rest. Think about it like that. Agriculturalists have learned that if you don't give ground that chance to rest and renourish itself. It's called crop rotation. Just talk to anybody in agriculture. They know the value of crop rotation because you can work a ground to death to where it doesn't give and have the nourishment anymore. We have got to realize we have got to pull aside. We've got to rest. It's a gift from God. What do these accidents all have in common? The Exxon Valdez spill. Chernobyl nuclear disaster in Ukraine. The nuclear meltdown at Three Mile Island. The Staten Island ferry crash that killed 11 people. Or even somebody reminded me after the last gathering that the, the tugboat that ran into I-40 bridge over in Oklahoma, people ran off the bridge and, and died in, 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 landing into the water. What do they all have in common? Sleep deprivation lack of rest, not getting enough sleep, it will absolutely cause you to lose your edge. Harvard University came out with a study just this week. I pulled it, dropped it in to the message this week. That sleep deprivation causes, cost companies, American companies, $63.2 billion, uh, $63 billion in subpar performance. We need rest. It's a part of the rhythm. But we think if I ever stop, if I ever get off, then it won't work. I'll, I'll lose out. I'll miss out on something. And you do need to miss out. You need to gain so that you can give again. And you gain through that rest. 
Even Jesus and all of his success and rising, rising ministry and, and healing the thousands and feeding the thousands and teaching the thousands and all that he was doing. Beautiful ministry. Teaching and multiplying through his disciples. There was a time whenever he told his disciples, let's go off by ourselves to a quiet place and rest a while. He said, because there were so many people coming and going that Jesus and his disciples didn't even have time to eat. That's whenever you're chopping away far too much. I don't care how good, noble, honorable, necessary, demanding your job is. Your body, your soul, your mind needs Sabbath. Most people know how to pound away. But we don't rest well. We don't do Sabbath well. How do we do Sabbath? These are just my little points to you. This is how I've learned that Sabbath works for me. i got to stop the routine, all right? Anytime I'm at home or I'm in a certain environment, if I don't change things up, change the routine, then I just end up back working, okay? i got to turn off the computer, got to turn off the email, i got to put the phone in the other room and don't even listen to its binging and blanging and all that kind of stuff. Get away from whatever it is that is pulling, constantly pulling and driving at you. Notice that Jesus broke from the routine. He says, let's go over there to a quiet place. Break from the routine. The second one is probably the most important one, and that's silence, solitude, and Scripture. All three of those, don't take out any of them. Leave them all in. Silence, which we don't do well. That silence creates that awkward pause which fills our brain and our mind gets running and chasing after rabbits. You know the English word for noise comes from the Latin word nauseous? We need to learn to get nauseous noise out of our life. Embrace silence. Embrace solitude. Getting alone. Closing the door. Getting, getting outside. Whatever that means and whatever that looks like for you. But then I would also say involve Scripture. If you're going to empty the mind, you better fill the mind. And when you fill it, fill it with Scripture. The Scripture tells us to be still and know that I am God. Be still and know I am God. We started our service like that. Maybe a little bit different if you got here on time. To walk in and there's just music playing and just words on the screen. Kind of keeps you kind of in this kind of, do I pay attention, do I not pay attention? What we're going to have to do is we're going to have to zero in, bring our mind in. Also, spending relaxed time with family is another key that I have found that brings me Sabbath. Whenever I learn that my kids aren't a nuisance, I can enjoy them when I'm in a Sabbath. I can I walk a little slower when I'm in a Sabbath. I listen a little better when I'm in a Sabbath. I appreciate the births a little bit more when I'm in the Sabbath. I smell things better when I'm in the Sabbath. I'm more gracious when I'm in the Sabbath. I'm kinder when I'm in the Sabbath. I I am more grateful to God when I take Sabbath. Whatever you do, realize that it's not just for you, it's for your sons, it's for your daughters. Teach your children the value of Sabbath. And again, it's not just 
hey guys, let's go chase each other around the world and do all these extra things and compete or be in dramas or, 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 or fill our, our time and space. Listen, what about just nothingness with family? What about worship with family? What does that look like in your home? We were flying in Africa one time and I can remember the plane being delayed and it was the announcer came on in her African accent and, I, and I'm not going to do that for you. But uh, she, she said this funny thing over the microphone. She said, uh, the plane has been working very hard uh, and so we need to let it rest. We were delayed. And the plane, the reason was the plane had been working very hard and it needed to rest. Uh, and I'm thinking, it's a machine. Uh, it doesn't need to rest. We need to go. Uh, but in Africa, you just do it. You just let the machine rest. And then I thought about us. Are you a human being? Are you a human machine? Because if you're a human machine, you can keep going. But if you're a human being, you need to rest. When are you going to rest? But it's not just, again, please hear this, it's not just taking another vacation day. It's not just going off to Disney World. It's not just taking on more extra activities beyond work with the family. It is very intentional, very focused, and I would say very sequential in your life. It's not waiting six months so you can get away again. It's every week. The Sabbath is every week. And not only that, the Sabbath is to the Lord. It's for you and it's also for God. Now, if you remember what we read there just a few moments ago, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day, verse 10, to the Lord your God. To the Lord your God. I can quote from G. Campbell Morgan again. He says, Until Christ had come, man worked toward his Sabbath. Since Christ worked, he works from his Sabbath. So if you think about it, up until Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, for the longest, excuse me, Friday in, into Saturday, for the longest time, the Jewish nation, uh, up until the New Testament, they observed the Sabbath on 6.30, sun, or sundown on, on Friday evening to sundown on Saturday evening. That was the Sabbath. And I was in Israel one time. I was there on the Sabbath. And boy, everything just, they roll up the sidewalk. They shut everything down. It shuts down uh, in, in the country. And, um, and that's the Sabbath. But when you come to the New Testament, you see this Lord's Day theme coming in. You see Sunday becoming the significant day. And why is that? Why, how did the shift go from Saturday to Sunday? Well, Jesus came to life again on Sunday. And the disciples received the Holy Spirit in John 20 on a Sunday. The church was born in Acts 2.1 on a Sunday. And uh, they met together as a church on Acts 20, verse 7, on a Sunday. And they collected offerings in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 on the first day of the week. So it, it switched at, at the New Testament time, and we began to see that the Sabbath day is now the Lord's day. And it's not just a day of rest. It's a day that we mark our relationship with God. So that's why I say that it's, you don't just need another day off. We need a Sabbath. It's a very intentional, focused, life-focused day. I need a day at least every week where I get off center. It's not about me. 
so that hopefully the rest of the week I can live a little off-center where it's not about me. But just like I align uh, my tires every time I get new tires, there's, there's a sequence, there's a, there's a rhythm that I need to realign my life every week. It's not about me. Louis Giglio in his book, I, I Am Not, But I Know that I Know I Am, said this. He said, the Sabbath is not as much a day off as it is a day up. A day to remember that He is God and we are not. Without a Sabbath, we forget who He is who we are, and lose sight of who He is, leaving us to carry the weight of the world on our shoulders. When there is no Sabbath in our lives, we become intoxicated by the lie that the sum of our life depends on, the, on our effort alone. We get to the place where we truly believe that the outcome of the story fully depends on us. It's not about me. It's about Him. And I need to be reminded of that week after week. I would hope that today and every Sunday you enter at Grace Point Church Campus, that you walk away from here with a new alignment, with a new focus on Christ, and there's a re-energizing of your heart. Not that this is the one time you pull up to the gas pump in a week, but this is just that epic moment of a, of a week when you encounter and experience and refocus your life so that the rest of the week you can keep doing the same. It's not about you, it's about Him. See, really what the Sabbath is, the Sabbath is the shadow of Christ. We talked about it in Hebrews just briefly when we did that study. But in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16, it says this, Therefore do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink. And these are all the religious laws of that day and the religious festivals and the new moon celebration or on the Sabbath day says, these are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. See, the real Sabbath rest doesn't come through just a day on the calendar, another day off. It comes through an intimate, personal relationship with God. And I'm creating space so He can be in me and I in Him. And He can refresh me and realign me. And He can give me rest. See, rest doesn't come with just another vacation, another day off. Rest comes through Christ. It's when Jesus said in Matthew, He said, Come to me, all who are laboring are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Sabbath comes through a relationship with God. So a question to clarify where you're at today on whatever road or map you're on. Do you observe Sabbath? Do you have Sabbath in your life right now? A relationship centered on Christ, space in your life, that even as you leave here today and you go about your day, are you going to go to the honey-do list? or Are you going to go shopping? Is it about do-do-do? Or is it about rest and being with family? in a meaningful time. I don't know. Think about it. Is it the craziness of this world that's driving you? Then what do you need to do? You need to simplify. What needs to come out, that means reduction, subtraction. It would be really healthy for us to reduce some things out of our life so that Sabbath can come in. Would you bow your heads with me? I struggle with the best of you.
maintain Sabbath. I'm a doer. I don't set well. But I have found when I do, set still in silence and solitude with His Word in my heart and my mind, there is a refreshingness that comes that nothing in this world can give me. Success can't give me. Accomplishments, nothing. Nothing, nothing. I want to pray for you. But I want to ask you a couple of questions. And I want you to listen carefully to the Spirit of God. Do you have Sabbath in your life? Do you know the Lord of the Sabbath? What do you need to do differently so that your life is in a cosmic rhythm, holy, set apart? What do you need to do different? Name it. Two or three things come to mind. Do it now. Father God, we bow before you. And whatever needs to take place in our life so that we can create margin, so we can create space, help us to do it so that we can engage in an intimate relationship.